You're listening to the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the world-leading tech incubator, the DMZ. In this podcast, each episode brings in the movers and shakers of the world to cover leadership mentality, tips for business owners, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's your host, Canada's leading podcaster, CPA and business strategist, Robert Gold, managing partner at Bennett Gold LLP. Once again, from high atop the Movers and Shakers Podcast Center in Toronto, live and in the morning, we're way off to the east. I can see Bacon Cove, Newfoundland. I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Bennett Gold LLP, Chartered Accounts and CPAs in Toronto. And this podcast is brought to you by the DMZ, the world-leading tech accelerator at dmz.ryerson.ca. Today, this is going to be fantastic. I'm really excited. Harley Finkelstein is with us. Harley is the president of Shopify. He has a great story to tell. Shopify is a great Canadian company. Harley, welcome to the Movers and Shakers podcast. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I am excited to hear your story, but let's go back a little bit. Tell us about yourself and how you came to be the president of Shopify. So I was born in Montreal, and I moved to South Florida when I was a kid, grew up there, and then decided to go to McGill for for undergrad. Frankly, moving to Montreal when you're 17 years old is like the greatest decision anyone can ever make. Um, Montreal is such a fun city generally, but being a 17-year-old the first year at McGill was great. Unfortunately, some of that wonderful energy faded fairly quickly because within about a month of starting school in 2001, September 11th happened, the markets crashed, my parents, my family lost everything. And, and that was really when I became a real entrepreneur for the first time. I, I had a little DJ business when I was in high school, but that never really made any money. But when I was in undergrad at McGill, it was critical. It was necessary for me to start making some money. I ended up building a little t-shirt business at McGill, making t-shirts for universities. Montreal famously has the, the Chabanel Garment District, or some would call it the Schmata industry. Yep. And I got involved in it and built this great little business selling t-shirts to universities. My second or third year of undergrad, I realized that entrepreneurship was going to be my life's work. It was everything to me. And this idea that I was able to build something from nothing with no experience and very little capital, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, a mentor of mine sort of convinced me or tried to convince me at least that I should consider going to law school after undergrad and not to become a lawyer actually, but, but rather almost as entrepreneurship finishing school. In 2005, this particular mentor of mine, his name is Philip Reimer, he's a lawyer here in Ottawa, he said, you should apply to the University of Ottawa because I'm teaching there in 2005. He was sort of a part-time professor. And so that brought me to Ottawa, moved here in 2005, and had no friends here, had no family here. The only person I knew was, was Phil, and started law school. And I realized that unlike undergrad in law school, I simply was not able to skip class and just show up for the exams, that there was this requirement to go to class to attend lectures. And, and that didn't really work well with my wholesale t-shirt business. As luck would have it, I ended up meeting a group of entrepreneurs here in Ottawa who became sort of my tribe. We started hanging out every Friday night. We called ourselves the Fresh Founders, which is a terrible name, but one of the other Fresh Founders was Toby. Toby had, was just transitioning from selling the snowboards to actually selling the software behind the snowboard shop. He just really transitioned from Snow Devil to what would become Shopify. And I met around that time and I sort of lamented to him that I had this problem where this t-shirt business that I had in undergrad was just not going to survive law school because of the attendance requirement. And I thought I really need to start an online store. And after meeting Toby and hearing about Shopify, I ended up being one of the first merchants on Shopify. This is back in 2005, 2006. And finished law school. I did a joint law MBA, so finished business school as well. And moved out to Toronto in 2008. And I was articling at a mid-sized law firm there. Absolutely hating it. Hated every moment of it. Found the 
legal profession to be incredibly risk adverse, to be incredibly legacy based as opposed to merit based. I knew that I was not going to practice very long. And so I called Toby and I said, this is, I guess, around 2009 at this point. And I said, I'm going to leave law. I would love to move back to Ottawa and join you and, and Daniel and Cody and help you build a real business behind the Shopify product. I just, I thought it was just so incredible. And that was about 11 years ago. And it's been the ride of a lifetime. And I've been able to give that same experience that I had sitting in tax law class, getting my first sale on Shopify. I've helped a million other people have that same experience. It actually sounds like more of a joy ride of a lifetime than the ride of a lifetime. It totally is. And if you think about that idea of a joyride or life's work as a concept, that is a concept that most people simply never get a chance to have. And then certainly this has been the case for my parents, my grandparents and great-grandparents. They worked to survive. They worked to put food on the table and a roof over their head. The opportunity and the good fortune to be able to do something that is more than just work, but rather feels like more of a hobby than it does like a day-to-day nine-to-five job. Just something that I, I think a great deal about and I feel very fortunate to have that. And you clearly bring that passion to the e-commerce world and to helping the smaller e-commerce businesses. I can hear it in your voice. I want to ask you a question about smaller and startup e-commerce ventures. I'm a chartered accountant in Toronto. I've been working with tech companies and startups for many, many, many years. And for the longest time, in fact, in March of 2001, I gave lectures at the e-tailing program at Ryerson. I had a lecture called Why Canadian E-Commerce Sucks. And that was 2001. And you could say up to maybe even a couple of years ago, Canadian e-commerce was not where it should have been. Yet, we've now had a global pandemic. We've got tools like Shopify and the other things that you bring to the market. What do you think it is about Canadian entrepreneurs that it took until these events, these events in history, to make them finally really move like gazelles? They got out of their shell, they took their head out of the grounds like ostriches, and they became real e-commerce ventures. It took world history to bring that about. But the five years before, they were laggards. Do you have a thought on that? Because it troubles me a lot. Companies tend to take on the ambition and the culture of the people that started there and the early teens. I was born in Canada, but I grew up in the U.S. I've always sort of had a bit of an aggressive sensibility. And I'm not saying that that is just an American thing. I've always been fairly aggressive. Toby is German. I moved here in 2004 or so. He always had this incredible view of great craftsmanship and building things of great technical craftsmanship, of great specificity. And I think Shopify, because of his attention to detail and his idea of building something incredibly scalable and so well-built, and certainly my view of being aggressive and being a little bit loud relative to some of my peers in Canada, I think has led Shopify to be a little bit more bold than most Canadian companies. And there's a lot to be said about the Canadian sensibility, whether it's modesty or it's loyalty or it's thoughtfulness. But the one thing that I think that Canada was lacking for a long time was the ambition. And I think what's changed recently is that there are more role models now. There are more people that are trying to build the best companies on the planet from Canada, as opposed to build the best Canadian company. And that's a very, very different type of um, philosophy. And we historically have been the acquirees, not the acquirers. That, of course, is changing. We certainly play a role there, but a lot of other great Canadian companies do the same thing. The key to it, or the judo move, the 10x move is, can you embrace and can you leverage the sensibilities of, of the Canadian culture and the Canadian society? Again, loyalty, modesty, thoughtfulness, respect, incredible attention to diversity and and viewing diversity as a strength, but also operate with great ambition, with a very long-term view of being dominant. I mean dominant in your space, in your industry. 
And I think it's happening more and more. I remember on the IPO Roadshow, which is 2015, every meeting we had when we said we're, we're Canadian, you know, immediately I said, oh, great. The last Canadians we saw, it was Nortel or it was BlackBerry. Nortel and BlackBerry, you know, led the path for a lot of great companies like Shopify. But I never liked that. I never liked the idea that they were always picking two other companies that may have not necessarily been what I would consider role models, at least eventual role models. And one of the things that I take very seriously, both on a personal level, but also on a Shopify perspective, is if you have success in Canada, one, it is your duty to go ahead and pay it forward, which is the reason why my wife, Lindsay, and I have invested in more than 40 Canadian startups, some of which we've done well from the investment, but some of which we only did to show support and provide that entrepreneur and that founder with some wind in their sails. I do think, though, that, that we are getting better, we are getting louder, we are getting more self-confident. Our Prime Minister talks about Canada needs more swagger. Whether you call it swagger or self-confidence, that is needed, and I'm seeing more of that now, uh, more than ever before. Well, and I like your comment to be bold and make bold moves. Let's move on. This last year has been really significant for you and Shopify. In fact, I read in the paper today about bold moves you're going to be making into India. I was in India about a year ago, just before the pandemic hit, and I saw Shopify signs. So you've been out there. But traditional stores are being forced to close, and yet you're seeing a booming demand for your your e-commerce platform. How is Shopify helping small business owners navigate right now? now through this rapidly evolving digital economy, economies, if you will. I think you have to split retail into two different segments right now. And you, you saw this happen almost before your very eyes. You're currently in Toronto right now? Is that yes, it? I am. You're in Toronto. I'm in Ottawa. Let's just talk about our own communities. But you can use this lens across the country, across the world. When the pandemic hit, there were two types of reactions, for the most part, from retail entrepreneurs, small businesses. You saw some of them completely resist the change and almost begin a stopwatch as to when this is all going to be over. And they counted down. It's going to be another three months, six months, eight months. You saw another segment completely adapt. They were resilient. They were not resistant. And they immediately took all this new information, all this new insight, all these new inputs, and they changed their direction dramatically. You saw that from restaurants that turned into meal kit businesses. You saw that from retailers, physical retailers, who shifted online quickly and turned their physical store into fulfillment warehouses. And it is great Canadian examples of this, whether it's Nixware in Toronto or it's Cotton or it's La Bottega here in Ottawa. My best friend Steve Becker, one of the great Canadian restaurateurs, immediately he figured out a way to turn his restaurants into effectively kitchens to serve takeout and, and do meal kits with. When you look at the resilient stories, you are inspired. You want to ensure they have everything they need to be successful and to find ways to make it through this pandemic. But the other side, the resistance side, it is quite unfortunate. Whether it's J. Crew or Forever 21 or Barney's, I mean, these are iconic brands, iconic retailers that went out of business. They saw the tidal wave and they grabbed their towel and ran for the beach, as opposed to the resilient ones who grabbed their surfboards and started surfing this wave. And for the most part, the merchants on Shopify are part of that resilient class, part of that resilient cohort, where they are always looking for ways to adapt, to grow, to change, to better, to improve. And they have done that. And that has been absolutely exceptional. I'm spending a lot of my time right now telling the stories of resiliency when it comes to small business, because I think it's so important to know that, look, there's always going to be things that happen. Not always a global pandemic, but there's always going to be things that are out of your control that land in your lap. And there are two ways to look at it. One is to look at it as an opportunity, and the other is this really sucks and I'll just wait for it to pass. I think entrepreneurs in their DNA believe that every setback is an opportunity 
to change course and potentially go even go further. Well, to that then, we now know how you navigate some of your business owners through the economy, but I know the answer to this question is on the Shopify website, but we've got entrepreneurs listening to this across the country. They're busy, they're in their car, they're walking their dog. High level, what kind of programs does Shopify offer right now that will help merchants succeed? So immediately when COVID hit, we extended our trial from uh, 14 days to 90 days. We gave them a lot more time to get started, take some pressure off, made it a little bit easier to, to get up and running and not necessarily feel the weight of, I got to start because I only have 10 days left in my, my trial. We extended our capital program beyond the U.S., the U.K., into Canada. We increased our capital pool by about $200 million, and we've now given out about a billion dollars of cash advances and loans to small businesses. We also went ahead and created new products. So, for example, we created a gift card product that allowed and enabled service-based businesses to also use Shopify to sell gift cards to their most loyal clients where they get cash flow right now and the consumer is able to to take advantage of that later on to redeem that at a later date. And then we also added more functionality to the core Shopify offering, things like curbside pickup, things like local delivery, turning your point of sale in your physical store into a way to fulfill orders and to pivot quickly to a more digital model. These are just the things we did in the first couple of weeks when COVID hit. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of is how our company showed up when things were really bad. I heard the, I think it was the Irish Prime Minister mentioned that when things were at their worst, we want people to see us at our best. I believe that rings true for the Shopify team. When things were at their worst, we threw out all our plans for the year and we focused on what are the things we can do right now to help merchants and entrepreneurs and small businesses survive. And then something happened that maybe I expected to some extent, but I didn't know how much of an impact it would have. And that is consumer preferences shifted dramatically. We started seeing consumers start voting with their wallets to support small businesses and independent brands in a way that we had never seen before. And I think part of it is all of us live in cities and communities and towns. We all realize that the fabric and the culture of those communities are very much tied to having small businesses exist there. We all have a little diner we love. We all have a little coffee shop we want to support, a sandwich place that is our sandwich place that we just prefer to go to. I think consumers generally around the world decided through the pandemic that if we want to have these things open up on the other side of the pandemic, on the other side of the vaccine, we need to support them now, unequivocally. And that's what happened. That's the reason why you saw more than $5 billion worth of sales happen on Shopify during the Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. I mean, sales on Shopify are effectively a proxy for small business retail. And small business retail is having a very special moment right now. And it's because consumers are deciding that is what they want to do. That is how they want to buy. That is how they want to operate because they want the small business to exist. And that purchase is a vote for that business to exist. Yeah, besides these specific things, which to me are fabulous initiatives, is there anything you can point to, anything you've done differently than your competitors to elevate your e-commerce position? And you've got major competitors. Shopify does a lot of different things. And if you look at any of those one things on their own, they would be leaders in those categories. Our capital business would be a leader. Our payments business, our shipping business, our physical point of sale business. Of course, our e-commerce business, where we are by far the leading player for e-commerce each one of those has a set of competitors. I think what makes Shopify special and the magic of Shopify is that if you were to ask me what Shopify really is, I would say that it is the world's first retail operating system. And the reason I don't talk about that very often is that no one really searches for a retail operating system. People search for software to solve a problem. For example, I want to sell online. I want to sell on Instagram. I want to print shipping labels at a good rate. I want to get capital. I want to sell in a physical location. All these different things on their own are really important problems to solve. But what Shopify does, I think, in a very elegant way is that it all comes together in this seamless way that enables 
a small business who otherwise would never be able to have a sophisticated business to run their shop in a really easy to use, very scalable way. And Shopify is not a retailer, as you know, but if you were to pretend like Shopify was a retailer and you were to aggregate our U.S. sales, as an example, we would be the second largest online retailer in America. The reason I mention that is because we go into a meeting with a payment business or a shipping company or a capital business, and we negotiate as if we're the second largest retailer. We get massive economies of scale. But instead of keeping those economies of scale for ourselves, we give those to small businesses. And that is a way to level the playing field that historically has never been able to be done before. It's the simplicity of Shopify. It's the leverage you get by being part of the Shopify platform. And it's the ability to scale. The fact that you can go from your mom's kitchen table, like in the case of Allbirds, to being more valuable than Reebok, which was announced last week, Allbirds is now more valuable than Reebok. And you can do that in five years on the same piece of software. That was not possible before Shopify. It's quite the story. Let's talk about leadership. Leaders around the world, from Steve Jobs to Oprah, leaders from all walks of life credit their success to daily habits, morning rituals, creative hobbies. As the president of what is currently Canada's most valuable company, what do you prioritize every day to stay productive and to keep yourself motivated? In other words, what does a day in the life of Harley really look like? Usually really great. Um, I, I have a really blessed life and, and, I, and I work at it. I think one of the things that I've picked up over the last couple of years through coaching and, and therapy and having the most incredible life partner in Lindsay, my wife, who's also an entrepreneur, is a really great dose of self-awareness. I don't think I came into Shopify with a lot of self-awareness. And the great part of self-awareness is that it provides a bit of a roadmap for what are some of the things that can get in the way of, for me at least, having a productive day, a meaningful day. And I want to be happy, but I think happiness is fleeting. You can be very happy, stub your toe, and, and happiness is gone. Now you're in pain. <laughs> so what I search for more in my life is meaning. Are the things I'm doing meaningful? Is the way that I'm spending my time meaningful? Am I having an impact on the people around me? Lindsay and I have two daughters. Zoe is two, and Bailey is four. My day starts with usually them running into our bedroom and jumping on me, which is a wonderful way to start. But part of that self-awareness was I discovered in my journey in Shopify that I've had anxiety since I was a child, and I never knew how to articulate it. I didn't have nomenclature for it. I just always kind of felt this feeling, and, and more recently, I've recognized it, that, no, that's anxiety. I'm trying to sort of unpack where that comes from, whether it's a traumatic experience that I had, whether it's multi-generational. My, my grandparents are, are Holocaust survivors, and I'm, I'm now deeply curious about other grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and how they feel and if they have anxiety or they have similar feelings. So I'm trying to connect the dots into these things as much as possible and take a very self-aware, introspective look at, at, at who I am and what makes me tick. But because I've become more self-aware, and that's not where I, I need to be, but I'm on this journey of, of understanding more about myself, I know that every morning I have to meditate unequivocally. If I don't meditate, I, I'm not nearly as mindful. I'm not nearly as thoughtful as I want to be. You know, after the kids jump on me, I usually meditate. I use a insight timer where I'll time myself and do just count breaths. More recently, I feel less inter interaction with humans and I'm an extrovert. I've been doing a lot more of these guided meditations, uh, relaxation response therapy, which is a category of meditation. Guided meditations has been really wonderful for me. You know, I'm now working from home as we all are and, and I go into my office and I'm usually in the office between 8 a.m. And, and noon. At noon, I go upstairs and, and have lunch with Lindsay and hopefully the girls uh, if they're around. Then I go back to the office, work the rest of the day, and then I always try to sort of end my day with some sort of physical activity. Today, I'm going to do some yoga when we're done this podcast, something that just brings me down back to sort of life and brings me back to a place where I can be thoughtful. Early in my career, I felt like I had no off switch. And it was only through work with Lindsay, and, and Lindsay and I have been seeing a marriage counselor since, frankly, we were married. Again, not because we had problems, because we wanted to anticipate problems 
and we are both sort of very growth-minded people. In the past, I would try to get home to have dinner with her, but then I got home at a particular time, pat myself on the back for, for getting home at that time, but I was completely checked out during dinner. And so what I'm trying to do now is if I'm going to commit to having dinner, spending time with the kids, I want to be fully present there. And it's not something that I've been able to achieve entirely yet, but it, it's, it's a journey that I'm on. So if at a high level you could summarize what you just said, is there one or two things you would tell other aspiring leaders across the country that they need to do? Peer group, peer group, peer group. Oh, I can't agree with you more. I love peer groups and advisory boards, the best thing. I think they are so underrated, and whether they're formal or informal, whether it's casual or it's more planned, I have a lot of great people in my life, but there's one particular relationship that I've been really developing over the past five years or so, and it's brought me incredible joy. His name is Dan Goldberg. Dan is the CEO of a company called Telesat, uh, one of the largest of companies in the world, yep. Canadian's best companies. Dan has become a real mentor and advisor to me and someone I speak to every day or two. And having people that you can call and say, hey, I'm going through this thing. What do you think? Or, hey, I'm feeling a certain way about this. Have you encountered this problem before? Particularly for Dan, who's, you know, uh, he'll kill me for saying this, but I'm, you know, I'm 37. Dan's 15 years older than I am. He's seen a lot more than I have. He's been running a large-scale company for a long time, and he understands how scale works. And a lot of the problems that I'm seeing, he's seen already. And I've learned so much, not just from him directly about business, but, but just about life. And his daughters are much older than my daughters are. And so he's seen a lot of the same things. And what I realized was, if you wait for those types of people to arrive in your life, it doesn't happen. It's not a push activity. It is a pull activity. You have to pull these things. You have to be on the lookout for people who maybe they have something in their life that you want to emulate. Maybe that thing is great parenting, great relationship with their spouse. Maybe it's the way that they negotiate. Maybe it's the way that they leave. Whatever that might be, the way they travel. And reaching out to them, maybe I'm wrong, but my impression is you do this thing really well. Would you mind spending some time and, and helping me understand how you do it so I can do it myself. If you do that, I'm checking my privilege at the door. I realize that it's easier for me to do that now given Shopify's reach. But I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. I met Phil Reimer, I mentioned earlier, when I was 15 years old. He was my mentor. That is absolutely possible. I also never felt like any rejection decreased my motivation to do that again, to reach out to that next person. I have this sort of consistency in terms of those reach outs because I know how valuable they are. And I realized that even now, only one in 10 will actually work out. But the ones that have worked out, they have become such hugely important parts of my life. And that is something that I encourage everyone to do. And, and maybe it's not someone like Dan Goldberg or Steve Bechter or, or Phil Reimer. Maybe it's just a peer of yours. Maybe it's someone who you just see in the elevator every day and you just think, hey, like, you seem really interesting. I watched your Instagram video and I love the way you're cooking with your kids at night. I'd love to ask you some questions on where your recipes come from. You can build yourself this incredible network of, of interesting people if you put yourself out there and, and you don't feel overly sensitive about them rejecting you, because that happens too. Well, I agree with you. And if I can do a commercial for advisory boards, they're the best thing. We've been working with entrepreneurs for years. The advisory boards, the people they can go to, we're not talking about board of directors. That's a whole other story with other liabilities. But an advisory board, you can sit around casually, have a dinner, a barbecue, when we can get back to a bar and just sit around the barroom table and just throw out the issue of the day, the problem du jour. The feedback you get from people that are in and out of your industry is unbelievable. They, people bring a wealth of experience to the table and they want to 
share, particularly Canadians in advisory groups. Advising Canadian companies, they want to put their two cents in. They want to see people succeed. I can't agree with you more. Peer assistance is the key. That's what I love about the DFZ, the way they pull their teams together. Let's talk about supporting black entrepreneurs. Shopify made a number of commitments in 2020 to support these entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs, and other minority groups. On top of that, you and Lindsay have made major personal contributions to black entrepreneur-focused initiatives, such as the DMZ's Black Innovation Program. In fact, I interviewed a while ago the head of the Black Innovation Program. It's a fantastic program. Can you tell us how Shopify's initiative supports the DMZ program? I think we were one of the early supporters of BIS and that program. And frankly, it's an easy decision to make. The idea that entrepreneurship levels the playing field is wonderful. However, it's easier to hit a home run starting on third base. It's quite obvious that not everyone has the same opportunities. It's great to say you can build a business on Shopify for $29. It's great to say the barrier to entry to success has been lowered. It's easier to get customers. It's easier to make money. But not everyone has the same opportunities. And so this idea that the DMZ has created this Black Innovation Fellowship, which is focused on finding black founders in Canada in particular for the DMZ cause and backing them with mentorship, with money, with support, that doesn't just help those entrepreneurs. Going back to what we talked about earlier, that also creates this flywheel effect that more people are going to be inspired. There's going to be more mentors out there of black entrepreneurs that other black entrepreneurs may follow suit. In order to believe something is possible, it is so much easier when you see it in action. It's the same reason I think that by watching my grandfather, even though he wasn't a very successful entrepreneur, he had an egg stall at a farmer's market in Montreal for the majority of his life. I saw him selling eggs that made it possible for me to think I can do something as well, that I would have the audacity to do so. But underrepresented communities, and particularly underrepresented groups across Canada, simply don't have those same opportunities. And I just, I love that about the Black Innovation Fellowship. I thought it was doing something that was really important. So it was easy for Shopify to get involved. It was really easy for Lindsay and I to, uh, to get involved because we are both entrepreneurs ourselves, and we've had people in our lives that have mentored us, that have backed us financially, that had given us support. We want more people to have that. We're also doing something that's really interesting called One Million Black Businesses with the Operation Hope based out of the U.S. And John Hope Bryant, who's incredible, incredible entrepreneur, is actually a banker by, by trade. Together with, with John, we are trying to create one million new black-owned businesses by the year 2030. You know, John likes to say that if you have in any particular group, let's say it's a group of 100, if you have five people doing something, that is enough to influence the other 95 in that group. And so creating this flywheel to create more entrepreneurs, more black entrepreneurs, both with DMZ and, and Black Innovation Fellowship, but also with Operation Hope, it just feels like the absolute right thing to do. And I think it's going to have a huge impact. Well, I'm a firm believer in entrepreneurship and small to medium-sized businesses. And by doing what you're doing, whether it's the black or any underrepresented business group, minority group, most of the people, and you know this probably better than I do, most of the people in Canada that are employed by a company are employed by a small business. I thought it was 70 to 80% work for companies with under 100 employees. In fact, I found it's like 80% work for companies with under 50 employees. Right. Canada only benefits it, by you doing what you're doing. It is this idea of mentorship and role modeling and what that means. In the early days of Shopify, we had this thing on our wall to do things to tell people. And to me, that seems so obvious because that's sort of how I operate. If I'm doing something that I think is cool that other people might think is cool, I will tell you about it. Some may say that is boastful or that is you are getting credit for something that you have not yet achieved. But I, I never sort of looked at it that way. I actually do think that we should all do really cool things and we should all ensure other people know about those cool things because someone somewhere may see that thing, and that right there may change the trajectory of their entire life. 
if you have something to share with the world, if you have a gift, if you have time, if you have money, if you have particular experiences, I think it is really important to, to disseminate that and let others leverage those things. And especially in a place like Canada, where our population here is not very big, we, you know, we're a tenth of the size of the United States. So if we don't have the population size, one thing we do have here is this culture of, of helping, of paying it forward. And I actually will, will be you know, somewhat aggressive when I see people that are not paying it forward. I will call them out publicly because I do want to create more of that in Canada. I think that may be one of our unfair advantages long term. We don't have the quantity of people, but we do have the quality of people. And if everyone is actually acting as a force multiplier for other people, we do get a 10x impact. I couldn't agree more. I'm curious about something. Other than having to work at home and coming upstairs to have lunch with Lindsay and maybe with the girls, how has your role as a leader changed over this last challenging but otherwise interesting year? Nothing builds empathy like having children, I think. I've become more patient. I've become more understanding. I'm trying to become more empathetic. I actually think that Bailey and Zoe have made me not just a better father, but a better human and a better leader because I have these incredible people in my life that I, that I cherish and I love, and they bring me so much great joy. Decisions that I make now on a personal level impact more than me. It allows me to zoom out in a way that I don't think I was able to. I think for a long time, I was sort of in the survival mode. 17, money's gone, dad's no longer around, got to help mom and my two younger sisters who are much younger than me. And I just put my head down. And I just worked and worked and worked and worked. And, and the fruits of those labors were great, actually. I was able to afford school. I was able to help my mom. I was able to pay my rent, pay tuition. All these sort of things happened. What Bailey and Zoe have done for me, and, and certainly Lindsay also, is they've forced me to pick my head up and look around. Am I still doing things that give me meaning? Am I spending my time in the most productive way? Because the opportunity cost of me spending time with my kids are amazing company. And the opportunity cost of leaving the company is spending time with my kids. And so what I'm trying to do is reduce anything that is not one of those things. I either want to be really enjoying my family or I want to be creating incredible impact for Shopify. And I don't want to have anything that is in between there as much as possible. It's unavoidable. You find yourself waiting in line for something. You find yourself you know, in a waiting room for, you know, for a dentist appointment or something. And beyond that, I try to focus all of my time in the most effective way as possible. And that is what kids have changed for me. So you've told us a lot about you and Shopify, again, from a high level. Can you stand back and tell us, personal and business, what do you think are your three most significant achievements in this past year? I'll focus on a personal one and I'll focus on professional. Okay, perfect. So on a professional side, the way that Shopify showed up for small business, I think this year Shopify became the entrepreneurship company. And it wasn't one thing we did. It was a million things we did over a decade. But this is the year, I think, that Shopify really took its place in the world as the entrepreneurship company. And that is earned. In order to continue to be the entrepreneurship company, we have to continue to earn it and continue to show up to build the best product to make sure that we're always supporting small businesses. On the personal level, I think my relationship with my family has really dramatically changed. I spent 93 or 94 nights in a hotel in 2019. I've always been on the road traveling a ton. I've spent two nights in 2020 in a hotel, and it was in January or February before COVID hit. So I've had to find ways to get energy from other things. And hit it for me on a personal level was, if you follow me a little bit on social media, you may know that I, I love to DJ. Nothing gives me more energy than, than DJing a big party, particularly a big Shopify party. It's just, I love it. It's so much fun for me. I get this great energy from it. I can't DJ a party right now. And so finding ways to get great energy from cooking dinner with Lindsay or teaching Bailey how to ride her, her two-wheeler, or taking Zoe to the park. I'm proud to see my own development in that way. And I'm, again, it's not to say the development is done yet, but this year was tough for me. Those first two months when COVID hit, 
I felt lonely. My anxiety levels were heightened. I didn't know necessarily where to find my energy. I didn't really know how to be present at home or at work in a virtual way, certainly on, on Slack or on Google Hangouts. With a lot of work and a lot of great people in my life, mentors and coaches and therapists, I feel I'm leaving 2020 in a much better way than I entered it. I think you could probably say that about a lot of people. Even though in the middle of it, they felt completely screwed up. We're coming out of it, at least with some focus on our business and maybe on our personal lives. I think opportunities and creativity happens when constraints get applied. And I think there's been a lot of constraints this year. I Those think so. That, that this is an opportunity to, to grow and be resilient. I think they're doing well. And it goes back to my earlier comment where all of a sudden the Canadian entrepreneurs have pulled their ostrich heads out of the sand and they've become gazelles and a lot of them on your, on your platform. Harley, is there one significant piece of advice you would give to any entrepreneur anywhere across the country that is today starting out building their business? What's the one thing? The imposter syndrome thing is complete BS. I meet a lot of entrepreneurs. I advise them. I work with them. I try to help them. I try to invest in them. There's this one thing that I think we all sort of come to, which is this imposter syndrome. We all feel like imposters. And I think there's this idea that at some point that goes away. That never goes away. That, that should never go away if you are actually constantly challenging yourself. If you can get really, really comfortable with being uncomfortable, you will be a great entrepreneur for the most part, all things considered. But this idea that at some point this veil simply lifts and you no longer feel like an imposter, the best entrepreneurs I know don't fight being uncomfortable. They just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that, I think, is the key. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think I should have asked you that fits into this dialogue? I haven't fully vetted this yet. But one thing that I do think is interesting to me is I am seeing glimpses that this idea of defining oneself as an entrepreneur is going to change. I, I wonder if in the future, everyone that has a hobby will think about commercializing their hobby and become an entrepreneur. I wonder if anyone that makes amazing barbecue sauce for a family decides to create Mike D's barbecue sauce, one of my favorite barbecue sauces from a great entrepreneur in North Carolina. You know, there's a famous line in the future, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Yep. I wonder if in the future, anyone that has a gift to share with the world will become an entrepreneur. And that I think might be really interesting. I love that. Harley, going to take you by surprise with some rapid fire questions. You ready? Off the top of your head, one or two word answers. Books or movies? Antifragile for the book and seem Taleb. I'm not really a big movie guy. Mac or PC? Mac. I don't even want to ask you this one that they gave me. In-store versus online shopping. It's everywhere. Future retail is not online. It's not offline. It's not on TikTok or Instagram or anywhere else. It's everywhere. It's wherever consumers want to buy. Twitter or LinkedIn? Twitter. Are you an early bird or night owl? Early bird. Favorite podcast? Here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. Oh, very nice. Dream job as a kid? DJ. Your biggest business fear? Not having an impact. Name one industry that you think will be gone in five years. Maybe not five years, but traditional education, university. Who is the most influential business person in Canada today? Toby's up there for me, certainly. I learned a ton from guys like Dave Mackay, Don Walker, Kalen Revenetsky from Air Canada is, is absolutely amazing. Heather Reisman is awesome. Uh, there's a lot of them. And what are you looking forward to in 2021? What's on the big Harley list for next year? To give my Bubby and Zadie a big hug. Those are my grandparents. They're Isn't in their that right? Late 80s, and I haven't seen them in eight months, and I, I can't wait. And are they in Montreal? They're in Montreal. Yeah. Harley Finkelstein, President Shopify. Harley, thank you so much for being a guest on the Movers and Shakers podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure, uh, Robert. Thank you for all It was a lot of fun. And until next time, I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Bennett Gold LLP, Chartered Accountants and CPAs in Toronto. If you want to know what a great CA firm can do for your accelerating business, check us out at bennettgold.ca. See you next time in the morning, everyone, and good night, Bacon Cove, Newfoundland. And that's a wrap for this episode of the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at dmz.ryerson.ca for more tips and tools designed to support your business. Until next time.